Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything else going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or you'd like advice on from the scriptures. That's what we're here to do is to take those questions and respond to them. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can also text us at 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to welcome those of you listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program, wherever you're tuning in from. We're so glad to have you with us today. Uh, one quick reminder is that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, so that's the East Coast there and Tennessee, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So please just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in and you'll still get to be part of the show. And then you guys have kind of a unique opportunity where you get to tune in a week later, maybe tell some family and friends, hey, they're going to air my question on the radio. And then you guys get to tune in and you get to listen on, uh, well, on a one-week delay to the show from the previous week that aired live here in Colorado and online. Um, so keep that in mind. But those of you listening here in Colorado, Wyoming, those of you listening online, you're hearing this program live, and we're so glad that you're with us. Um, if you have not yet downloaded the Grace FM app for your phone or your tablet, we really encourage you to do that. It's a great way for you to um, kind of stay in touch with Grace FM and these programs, Calvary Live and the other programs on Grace FM. Uh, you can do that anywhere you are in the world or in the country. And we see more and more people taking advantage of this. So if you don't have this app yet, do go to your app store. Just type in Grace FM as one word in the um, app store that you use, Google Play or the Apple App Store. And that app will come right up. It's totally free. You just put that on your device and you can listen over the internet anywhere you are in the country or in the world. And the other thing you can do to listen online is to go in your browser just to gracefm.com and you can click the button in there to listen live as well. And so I see, um, I'm, guess I'm looking at a map right now of all the people who are tuning in around the country and it looks like we have listeners in quite a, you know, quite a broad range of people. We have, uh, it looks like we have one listener in Europe and Ukraine and also some, some listeners on the northwest of the country some listeners in the Southwest, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, uh, throughout the state of Colorado, into some of the Midwest and Texas, Louisiana. Looks like we've got listeners um, 
on the East Coast as well. Shreveport, Louisiana, give a shout out for you guys. Chicago, Illinois. So it's great to see how God is spreading the reach of this show, how it's reaching people. And we would love to answer your questions. That's what we're here for, to answer your questions and pray for you. That's the vision of the show. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. Maybe there's something you've been reading in your Bible and it's something you've been maybe confused about or always wondered about. Well, that's what we're here for is to uh, hopefully answer some of those questions for you. And we're also here to pray for you. So if there's something going on in your life that you would love for the people listening to this show to be able to agree together in Jesus' name for that thing, we would love to pray for it. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. A few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host here on Calvary Live every Friday. Used to be Mondays, but now I'm your host every Friday. Just a, two weeks or so ago, I swapped with Pastor Jeff Figs. He used to be on Fridays and I was on Mondays. And then we switched. But you may notice that today is neither Friday nor Monday. Today is Wednesday. And the reason that I'm hosting today is because I'm filling in for Pastor Ed Taylor. So um, I will be with you again on Friday as well. Last week, I was not with you on my regular scheduled time on Friday. I was in Austria. That's right, land of kangaroos. I didn't see a single kangaroo there, um, just a lot of mountains. And uh, I did see people in Lederhosen, just in case you were wondering about that. I guess they still that's still a thing, apparently, in Austria. So, yeah, so I was in Austria, and the reason I was there was because I was there for the Calvary Chapel Pastors and Leaders Conference for Europe. So Calvary Chapel European Pastors and Leaders Conference at Calvary Chapel has a um, conference center in a castle in southern Austria. And for those of you who may not know this about me, I was a missionary in Europe for 10 years prior to moving to Colorado. Uh, I grew up in Colorado. I came to know the Lord here in Colorado, grew up in Denver, north side. And then at age 18, I went to Hungary as a missionary, and I spent 10 years in Hungary. And I went there just to help out and serve in some churches. And during that time there, I ended up um, going to seminary. I ended up being ordained as a pastor. And then I planted two churches with my wife. We got married. We met and got married over there. She was also a missionary. And then after 10 years and uh, two churches, a few kids, the Lord led us back to Colorado. And it was at that time that uh, seven years ago now, that I became the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont. So we love being here in Colorado. Definitely believe that God has called us here and we're excited about what God's doing in our church. But we're also, you know, our hearts are very much with um, God's global mission, not just in Europe, but around the world. But um, we have a lot of friends in Europe and very uh, much enjoyed going over to this conference and getting to spend some time teaching and ministering, encouraging um, friends and new friends that we made over there. Uh, this conference uh, was packed like there were they had to close down registration on it. And so God is doing a really good work over in Europe. And it was great to hear some of the stories of what God's doing and to pray for some of the needs over there. And so I would just encourage you um, be praying for people in Europe and, you know, maybe be praying. Does God have a place for you 
to serve over there and to help. Um, I can tell you there are a lot of needs, and it is definitely one of those areas where the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So um, that's where I was last week and back with you this week um, here in Colorado. Glad to be back. Um, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is Calvary Live. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We have one um, text message that's come in in the meantime. All open lines. So it looks like we just got our first caller, but um, we'll go to that after I answer this text question. This person asks, what is spiritual attack and how is it to be identified? It's a really good question. I think that there are a lot of things which, like if we look at them nowadays, right, we live in a, an age where we have advanced in a lot of areas uh, as far as like medicine and uh, even mental health things. And so I think that maybe there are some things even in the past that people might have said, oh, this is a spiritual attack. And nowadays, the automatic tendency for some of us is to look at those things and say, well, this isn't a spiritual attack. This is just a physical or bacterial or you know, chemical uh, issue. I think there are two big areas where we see spiritual attack very clearly in the Bible. I'd say the primary one, I'd say that the mind seems to be one of the primary places for spiritual warfare. But I would say that um, clearly, like if we look at the book of Job, there are times when Satan, uh, evil forces, are able to affect physical things as well. So, what does that mean? Um, first of all, let's talk about the the idea that the mind is maybe the primary battlefield for spiritual warfare. One of, one of those uh, great passages on this, I mean, there was like a whole, whole bunch of passages that we can point to to kind of build this, this case that um, a lot of where spiritual warfare takes place is in the mind. I mean, going back to Genesis chapter 1, right, what does Satan do? How does he attack? He doesn't hold down Adam and Eve and force an apple or whatever fruit it was. He doesn't force it down their throats. He doesn't coerce them. He doesn't tie their hands behind their back and, you know, make them do something against their will. Rather, what does he do? Uh, he speaks to them and tries to convince them to do something. And he does that through lying to them about God, about God's intentions, about God's character. And um, they decide to side with Satan rather than trusting in God. And so... We see there there is a spiritual attack. How does how does that spiritual attack take place? It takes place through lies. Later on, you know, we get to Jesus, and Jesus tells us about Satan in John chapter eight, that he is a liar and that he's the father of liars, and that he has been lying since the beginning. That what he does is lie. So um, then, then we go on and we can look at a passage like in Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about the fiery darts of the evil one. And a lot of the, the protections that we have, right, there's protections to guard our hearts, to guard our minds, to guard the ways that we think, because these lies are coming at us and we have to 
um, guard against them and fight against them. And the offensive weapon we have, according to Ephesians chapter 6, is the word of God and prayer. So what all that comes down to is that one of the great ways that Satan attacks us is through lies. And I think that we've all experienced the um, sensation of having a thought come into your mind that is not necessarily from yourself, right? It seems like a foreign thing, like someone almost telling you something about yourself. Um, and it's certainly not from God because the trajectory or where that is leading is destructive, right? So it's, it's um, suicidal thoughts. It's people um, being convinced that they are not loved, that their life is not worth anything. These are very much spiritual attacks. And I think that we can see that pattern of spiritual attack taught throughout the scriptures. Now, on the other hand, I do think that there are evidences of um, just physical attack, right? So there's like the case of Job, where Satan asked to attack Job, and the attack, the, the form that it takes, is a very much a physical, tangible form, right? So disease, death, um, calamity. What's interesting in Job, of course, is that we see that it is God. It must be whatever happens to Job has passed through the hand of God. God has allowed something. And there's a really good phrase on this that you might take note of. And it's this, that God sometimes allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. God sometimes allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And I think this is true when it comes to, in fact, why does God allow bad things to happen? Well, there are many reasons, but of course we know that God has purposes in this world in and for our lives. And so God will sometimes allow things which he hates, right, which would be uh, calamities, etc., in order to accomplish in us and in the world and in people's lives the things that he loves. So um, I would say those are two main areas of spiritual attack and how they can be identified. I think that sometimes, yes, sometimes people do tend to over spiritualize things right like oh no that person at whole foods stole my parking spot and this must be an attack from the devil i'm not sure it is right and it might just be that there are 97 spots and that person got there two seconds before you did um you know the red light turned red and it's a spiritual attack well no actually it's probably just on a timer uh, and if you would have left your house like three seconds earlier you would have made the light so I don't think that we should over-spiritualize things. But I think that there are certain cases in which we can know that um, lies are from the enemy. And many times calamities, although allowed by God, are not, uh, he is not the author of evil. So I hope that uh, answers your question. And thank you for that good and thoughtful question. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you need prayer for. We'd love to pray for you and answer your questions. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Okay, let's go to our caller, Lydia, in Castle Rock, Colorado. Hi, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Mm -hmm. Hi, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hi. What can we do for you? Uh, uh, I'm listening to the radio, and I'm in my car, you know, and 
it, it is funny because the same stuff that that other person asked about is is kind of the same thing that I'm going through, but it just doesn't seem to stop, you know. It, 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 I, I Sometimes I feel better if I'm all by myself and then I don't have contact with anybody and I feel, well, maybe that's a safe place to be. But realistically, you know, we have to work and we have to be around people. And, uh, um, you know, I, 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 I really want to be that person that I was 20 years ago, cheerful, loving, and showing love to people. But because I, I think that there are spiritual attacks, but, but then again, if, 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 if Jesus already conquered, you know, conquered Satan and conquered, you know, and he's, he's already, uh, you know, tied, you know, chained, why, why are we going through all, you know, why, why do we have these things, these thoughts, you know, why, why can't we just move on? You know, why does Satan keep, or that's what I'm saying, why am I saying Satan if Satan's already been destroyed by God? If, you know, Satan already cast him cast him down, which you, which I understand that, you know, Satan is not like a little cartoon figure, but he was a, you know, he was God's right-hand angel, and then he cast him down. But why is, why is this still happening? That's, you know, and it seems like the more sometimes I get to read my Bible, and then the more I, I get closer to God, then these then it's like these challenges and attacks get worse. It's mm-hmm. just like I just want to be living in peace. You know, I want to live in peace. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick answer to that. I mean, I don't know how satisfying the answer will be, but I think it's thoroughly biblical. You know, here's here's where we live in the timeline of history, right? So the Bible, the the thing it teaches us would be a, really a linear view of history, which means we are moving from point A to point B along a continuum. And that means that the, your life, the history of the world, the, everything that we're experiencing has a definite end and definite goal that we are moving towards. Okay, now Jesus came to defeat death and the devil. And he has done that. He has been victorious. But like so many things in the Bible, right, you could say salvation is talked about in three different ways in the Bible. It talks about it as a finished fact. It is done, right? It is done and it is for sure. Now, it also talks about as an ongoing thing. You are not just, you just, it's not just that you have been saved, but you are being saved. You are going through a process of salvation called sanctification. Now, also, in the future, one day you will be saved. And what, what all this equates to is the fact that we live in an interesting time in which uh, the work of Christ is finished before God. We are justified, we have been saved, and yet we live in this time where we live before the consummation of all things, right? Before Satan has been cast into the lake of fire and destroyed forever. Now you might wonder, well, if Satan's defeated, why is God still allowing him to be active? Now, that's a really interesting question. And in Colossians chapter, oh gosh, I need to remember where the passage is, but I believe it's in Colossians chapter 1 and towards the end. What it says is this, that Jesus defeated Satan and that he has led him in a triumphal procession. And this is actually a really important verse because it tells us 
why if satan has been bound or satan has been defeated let's let's say defeated because i think using the idea that satan has been bound might confuse us with something that it says in revelation about satan being bound in the end times so if satan has been defeated then why is he still active and this here's the idea that here's the picture that paul paints in colossians what he says is that um, Jesus came and he defeated Satan and led him in this uh, triumphal procession. Yeah, so this verse I was looking for, I just found it. It's, uh, it's Colossians chapter 2, um, basically verses 13, 14, 15. It says that Jesus defeated, you know, that, that our sins have been nailed to the cross with Jesus and he disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's speaking of evil powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it's this idea, you know, the picture Paul's painting it, by talking about um, triumphing over them and putting them to open shame is this picture of what would happen with a Roman army. When the Roman army would be victorious or really any, you know, great empire's army, when they would be victorious, the, there was a tradition. And what they would do is they would take the defeated army and they would chain them up and they would lead them in a procession, you know, to humiliate them. And so they would lead them through the streets of every town and village on the way back to Rome, the capital. And as they would walk through town, you know, people would throw rotten vegetables at them and, and the sort. And sometimes they would be stripped naked, right? It was, it was worse than defeat in battle because you were now being humiliated. And then what would happen is when you got to Rome, there would be this big procession and you'd be put to open shame, which is what he's referring to here. And then, you know, people would mock you, throw things at you, and you would be, you know, chained and bound through the streets. And then the, the even greater humiliation would come after that, and that is that you would then become a slave. You would usually be sold as a slave. Now, how does that apply to your question? Here's how. Because what, what that means is that Satan hasn't been um, destroyed, but he's been defeated. And therefore, what is his role? now well god still lets him do things but the things that he does ultimately serve his own humiliation they put him to shame and the way that that works is is uh, think about it like this if god if satan can't do anything without god's permission right like we see in the book of job then the things that god does allow satan to do he only allows them to do those things so that God can accomplish his own purposes in the end. Kind of like what I was saying, that sometimes God will, al will allow something he hates in order to accomplish something he loves. And so, in other words, think about this. If you were only allowed to do certain things, but everything you were allowed to do ultimately served to further your enemy's cause and hurt your own cause, you would be extremely frustrated. And that's exactly the position that Satan's in. He is being put to open shame because even the things that God allows him to do, you know, where he thinks, okay, fine, I get to do this bad thing. Um, God uses that thing in the end in the lives of believers and even in the lives of other people to accomplish his purposes uh, for their lives and for the world. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that you might check out. And that is like in the book of James and other places where it talks about uh, trials and temptations the same word for temptation and the same word for trial in greek they're the same word so in the biblical text they're the same thing so what might seem like a temptation from satan 
has been allowed by God to be a trial that tests you and which strengthens you, right? So we have these verses, 1 Peter, James, Romans chapter 5, that talk about how the temptations and trials in our lives actually serve very much to strengthen us, and God uses them to make us into the people that he wants us to become. So does that answer your question in part? It, it, it does, because um, something like this happened in, in uh, this employment that I had, and, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I'm the kind of person, you know, I, I don't just run off and, and say, okay, this happened. I want to know why these things were happening. And, yeah. and, 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 and it's exactly what you were saying, that, that, that God exposes the shame of people, that we can become better. And, 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 and it's up to those, it's up to that group that was involved or those people that were involved if they decide to look at their shame, to continue that way or, 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 or make us, or see, hey, you can be, you know, the, you can be not a better person, but you could see the, the real, the reality that of, of, you know, of, of the, of, you know, of the circumstance that you were in. And 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 then after that that happened that the job actually I'm not there anymore because mm-hmm. there was just too much of the stuff I felt that that me as a person in my spiritual walk I, I couldn't work in this kind of this environment where where I knew there was going to be probably more things happening you know sure. um, but uh, but but I saw something in myself and I think that what happened. Is 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 it was exposed to these other people too, and and then I and then I ended up talking to the to the director of this place, and he said, you know, Lydia, you, you can move forward, you know, and I, I felt there's still something not right here, you know, and and I was glad that this director talked to me, and he, and he read everything that was documented, and he said, Lydia, just he said move forward, and then I felt, you know what, this man saw something, the truth of what was happening. And and I was glad because I was still not convinced what was really happening, you know, and yeah. and 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 so so I just feel that you're right. You 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 are right that God uses these things to put people in shame, and mm. then we can have victory if we if if we see what God did in our life. If we see, okay, Lydia, yeah. this was put this and, and this specifically is what you needed to, to to you know yeah. this is what in your life you needed to see, you know. Sure. Yeah. And and specifically, I, I was referring to Satan being put to shame. I don't think that God uh, motivates us through shame. Um, I think that there are times when, um, you know, I think that God's motivating factors in our lives are not not primarily shame. So um, I would just make that distinction. I'm going to need to let you go because we're coming up on our two minute break. Um, but thank you for your call and God bless you. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're coming up on our two-minute break, but right before we do that, we got a text message from somebody following up on a previous one asking, so what is the most biblical way to differentiate between spiritual attack and godly correction? And I think this goes back to our call with Lydia just now, which is the fact that um, sometimes it isn't like one or the other maybe maybe sometimes it certainly is right like sometimes if there's a a lie that the enemy is speaking to you that is certainly not godly correction 
right? Telling you that you are worthless or telling you you're unloved, etc. However, um, I, w I would say that in some cases, as we're talking about, God allows spiritual attack. He'll allow the enemy to do things in order to accomplish work in our lives. So um, I'm not sure that I can point to one Bible verse and say, here's the way to differentiate between godly attack and spiritual correction, except for this, that um, it says in 2 Corinthians 7 that there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Right, So godly sorrow leads to repentance. Right, It leads to restoration with God and restoration of relationships in areas where there's been sin. But condemnation is something which tends to have the effect of leading us away from God. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden hiding from God because of their shame. So I would say that that would be a very biblical way to differentiate those two. Hey, we've come for a two-minute break. We'll be back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything else going on in your life that you would like prayer for. We're here to pray for you and answer those questions. The number to call, 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. And we have one open line right now, so you can call in and we'll get you on the air. And the text line is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 to text in. Let's go to our next caller, Lori in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Um, how are you? Doing great. What's up? Great. So anyway, I was listening to Ed Taylor tonight because um, I'm on the East Coast, and he was answering a, a question from a woman who asked the question, if two men are in a married um, you know, relationship and they believe in Jesus, when they die, and they believe, you know, wholeheartedly he paid for their sins and everything, and when they die, will they go to heaven? And so Ed, Pastor Ed, answered it um, to the effect that if you're practicing a sin, and you know you're practicing a sin habitually, then you still need to be preached to. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I'm confused about is when two adulterers leave their leave their marriage for no really no good reason other than they feel like leaving their marriage and then they go and marry somebody else how does that differ they're yeah. habitually practicing you know sin yeah. yeah you know here's the thing i i know i know pastor ed really well and i know that his heart on this um issue i know exactly what it is and that uh -huh. he would agree with what i'm about to say which is this that um you know when it comes to sexual ethics or when it comes to sin oh. right we we want to hold everybody to the same standard which is this that um you know if you're sinning by uh sexually in a heterosexual way or a homosexual way or anything else that might fall into any category or guess what if you're sinning in a non-sexual way like greed gluttony 
whatever that might be, right, you need to repent. And so there's not a double standard for, um, you know, it isn't that, that one sin, um, like let's say in this case homosexuality, is the one thing which will definitely send you to hell. Here, here's what will send a person to hell is rejecting the grace and salvation that has been offered freely in Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. And you can reject that in lots of ways, right? Like you can reject that in straight up pride. Like you can be a super good person. And, um, you know, I, my kids, a few years ago, um, we put our kids into um, a local public school. Prior to that, they had been in a private school, a Christian school, and we put them into a local public school. And my daughter um, invited, you know, my daughter was in first grade at the time, and she invited her teacher to Christmas Eve service at our church. And her teacher told her that um, she would not come because she's not a Christian. And our daughter came home, and she was shocked and confused you know and her her reason was she said you know my teacher i don't understand because she's a good person she's nice and she's but she's not a christian and you know and how does that work like how how can this possibly be basically like i thought that she was a good person and now i found out that she's not a christian and one of the things we got to tell our daughter at the time which i think was such an important thing for her to learn was was your teacher is a kind and quote-unquote good person. But guess what? Even kind and good people need the gospel because the very best people in the world, the people who do absolutely nothing wrong, so to say, need Jesus because there's nobody who's actually done nothing wrong, right? Like all of us have rebelled against God in our hearts. We've all sinned in myriad ways. And, you know, what's really interesting is that in some of these passages, like in First Timothy is, is one of the passages that talks about um, people who are actively practicing homosexuality. It lists homosexuality amongst a whole bunch of other sins that people tend to almost be comfortable with. And we shouldn't be comfortable with them, first of all. But it also tells us that while we would agree that um, active homosexual practice is a sin, it's not the only sin, nor is it the... Um, the unforgivable sin. So here, here's, you know, I'll just read you a passage. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and who, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And um, there are other lists in the Bible. There, there are several of these sort of lists. But guess what? I mean, it, it's using things that um, many of us would would not be that um, bothered by. And what it's telling us is that our standards are a little bit off on what we're super bothered by. Like God is really bothered by pride. God's really bothered by greed. Um, and we tend to, you know, we had an axiom in the 80s. It was a little bit before my day, but I know that there was this axiom in the 80s that greed is good because greed helps the economy. Well, no, God would say, no, no, no. That's not how he thinks at all. So um, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm telling you that I believe that Pastor Ed agrees with you too. That there's, there's not a double standard. We believe that sin is sin. 
I would only add this, that I think that um, while on the one hand we would say all sin is equal quantitatively, it's not all equal qualitatively, right? So um, saying a lie versus murdering your mother, um, each one is a sin, right? So a sin is a sin is a sin. One action that is sin equals one sin. And in that sense, sin is equal. But in another sense, sins are not equal, right? Because not all sins are qualitatively the same. Um, you know, going five miles an hour over the speed limit is a sin. But um, it's not the same as murdering the president, right? So qualitatively, it has different implications and uh, it affects people differently. Now, before God and you're standing before God, yeah, it's all the same. But sometimes people will come and they say, well, isn't all sin basically the same? Um, yes, quantitatively. And how it affects your relationship with God, absolutely. But in how it affects relationships with other people, how it affects society, um, not all sins are equal in that sense. So anyway, Lori, I hope I'm answering your question. Well, I mean, just to finish what that woman asked last week, but actually it was... <laughs> this week for me, she said, will they go to heaven? So if they repent every day, even though they're practicing, like Pastor Ed said, every day, but they repent every day, does that get them into heaven? Well, now, if you're repenting and not changing your actions, that's not actually repentance. Where I go with the, with the adulterers, because my father's been in a, a second marriage, which is adultery to me for 40 years, but he's He's practicing that every day for 40 years, but he says, I, I ask God for forgiveness every day. So he thinks he's going to heaven. But how does it differ for a homosexual or a person like my father, who mm. literally it was adultery? He, he, there was no reason, you know, there was no reason it was adultery. I see. So, so can I, I just, uh, this is an interesting one because um, a lot of times people, you know, and, and Jesus says this in the Bible that, um, it talks he equates adultery with uh, remarriage in some cases right so um but here's the question i would ask you it sounds like your father um divorced i, I don't know who he divorced whether it's your mother or stepmother but he divorced somebody and it sounds like he married a person with whom he was having an adulterous affair is that uh, correct yes okay so at that point here's the here's the issue now what could he possibly do to make this right? And, and here's where I'm going with this, that while I would absolutely agree with you that he sinned in the past, I'm not sure I agree that it's continually sinning in the present and moving forward into the future. I don't and, see how that differs with the homosexuals, though. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, it's a trajectory of life, right? So it's saying that continuing to practice this action um, which is called sin in the Bible, right, is different than having done sin in the past. And then look at what your father's options are. Okay, so he can, he can divorce this woman that he's married with whom he had the affair in the past, in which case that would be, you know, another sin, right, divorcing this person. And so what would happen in this case, there's actually instances of this in the Old Testament law that explain how this would work. So if a, if a man in the Old Testament law was to have sexual relations with a woman who wasn't his wife, 
then he was required to make it right. And there was kind of two ways to make it right. One way was if the if the woman's family approved of this man as a husband, then he would be required to take this woman as his wife and provide for her and care for her for the rest of her life, right? So he was to make it right. Now, in some cases, right, somebody would have sexual relations with a woman and he would not be a good person to be married to for the rest of your life. And so the family would kind of have the option to say, you know what, we do not believe that you are a good person um, and we don't want you to be married to our daughter, even though you did this thing. In other words, a woman wouldn't be trapped into a marriage just by having sexual relations with somebody. Um, then he would have to pay restitution. And so, um, so that, that's, and that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. So um, another instance of this that you could look at is David and Bathsheba, right? So David has an affair with Bathsheba, which is clearly wrong. It's clearly sin. He follows that up with further sins. And, and then what happens in the end? Well, David makes, so to say, an honest woman of, it's more like David making an honest man of himself. Um, he marries Bathsheba and they have a child who is Solomon who ends up being um, part of the lineage from whom Jesus the Messiah comes. So I, I hope that you see what I'm getting at I here. Do. I do, I do, I do, I do understand like what are the options and everything, but what is it, what are the options for gay people who, 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 well, I guess their options are to say, you know what, this isn't right because it's in God's eyes, it says that this is not a right practice, but so I see what you're saying. It's more um, the option is is celibacy and friendship, mm -hmm. and I think that those things have been greatly undervalued in our modern society. There's a a man who's written on this topic, and he himself is um, so he's an Anglican pastor. His name's Sam Albury, two L's, two R's. In case anybody wants to look him up, Sam Albury, and he wrote a great book called Does God hate gays. I believe is the name. It's something like that. Um, but it's if you look up Sam Albury, I mean, this is a very important book, I think, for people to read. And here's why Sam Albury has so much um, credentials to write this is because he is a celibate man who, um, who has homosexual desires. And he has decided that he does not have feelings towards women. It wouldn't be, you know, fair and right of him to uh, pursue a relationship with a woman. He's not attracted to women, and yet he has read the Bible and has come to the conclusion that uh, marriage is for one man and one woman, and that God has offered him as a man with homosexual desires uh, other options, which are friendship and fellowship in the body of Christ. And, um, and th these things are actually very much undervalued in our modern society. We live in a very highly sexualized culture where nowadays a lot of times we conflate sexuality with identity, which is a mistake. Right. So um, I, I have other callers, but I really That's appreciate the I discussion. That's a lot of good stuff. Thank you so much. Awesome. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Number to call? 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Dustin in Decono, Colorado. Hi, Dustin. Welcome to the program. Hi. 
How are you doing, Pastor? I'm doing well. Hey, thanks for holding. I know you've been holding for a while. Oh yeah, no problem. I and I and I don't want to take too much of your time. I just uh, I just had an interesting question, um, just you know about Second uh, Samuel chapter twenty four verse one. Yes. Kind of. Uh, I was just wondering what you think. What do you? What are your thoughts about the United States taking the census? Like, and what what would your thoughts be if somebody took a job with the census? Like, would you have mm-hmm. a, Would you personally take a job with the with the census if you had to? Yeah, so let me just, for um, some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the passage you're referencing, um, 1 Samuel, did you say 22? 24. 24, okay, yeah, this is a passage where David takes a census. So it's not really a census so much as it is he counts his troops. So it's a little bit different than what we're doing with this, a U.S. census, right? Um, so with the census, or so to say, David counts his troops, um, the reason that David gets in trouble for doing this is because of why he did it. Because you'll notice that in the next book, like in Chronicles or in the book of Numbers, or the book of Numbers is really a whole bunch of lists of people. They were actually told to count the people, and then the, the numbers of people are listed by tribe. And then in um, Chronicles, we see again a counting of people in the country. And... and um, I'll give you one more instance of counting in the Bible. Well, I actually give you several more. I mean, there there are times in the Bible where it talks about you know counting. Um, maybe the most important wi- of which I would say would be in Luke chapter fifteen. Yeah, Luke fifteen, where it is the parable of the lost sheep, and it says that there is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes missing. Well, guess what? I mean, like if you have a hundred sheep. That's just a, a whole bunch of sheep. How are you ever going to notice if one of them is missing unless you count your sheep? And so the question is this, why are you counting? Now, I know that in church, this is something that comes up sometimes, right? Like, so I've been in churches um, as a staff member or team member where we did not count for this very reason, because we said we do not want to count um you know, because David counted and it was it was seen as God, seen by God as a really bad thing. Now, on the other hand, I, the church I'm in now, we when I first came here, we didn't count. And now we have started counting. And there are several reasons why we count how many people are there on Sunday. But we would say we don't want to be like David, but we do want to be like the good shepherd who notices that one of his sheep is missing. How can we notice if people are missing or, you know, if if something's wrong if we don't do from a shepherding perspective, from a a good, godly, faithful shepherding perspective, if we don't know our sheep, if we don't know our flock. And the other reason is because we need to know how many bulletins we need. We need to know how many, um, you know, communion supplies we need to be providing. We need to know how many chairs we need to be putting out, how many parking spots we need, things things that are all of the nature of caring for people and ministering to them. Not in David's case, right? His whole thing was patting himself on the back. Look how many soldiers I have. Dang, it'd be like Scrooge, you know, Scrooge uh, counting his coins on Christmas Eve, right? Like he already knows how much coins he has. He's just like so in love with his coins that he's so in love with his money that he just counts it for fun. Um, That's the thing we don't want to do is this kind of patting ourselves on the back and really just... um, 
counting for the sake of, of pride and confidence, not in God, but confidence in money, people, etc. So I would say those are the things. Now, getting back to the United States, um, with the United States, I don't think there's anything wrong with the United States counting their people. I think that that is not the same category as why David got in trouble for counting his troops. Um, and I actually have somebody in church who I know of in my church who works for the Census Bureau. Would I take a job with the Census Bureau? Um, it probably wouldn't be like my number one choice, but I would not be against taking a job with the Census Bureau. So, yeah. Does that answer your question, Dustin? Yeah, that's that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I was just, I was just, just was something that was on my mind. <laughs> sure. Are you trying to get a job with the Census Bureau? I'm, I'm considering that. I mean, they have, they said you can make, you know, $23,000 by August or something. I mean, you know, I mean, and you can work when you want to. I mean, that, that kind of sounds pretty good. So, yeah, like I, mean, I said, I, I have a friend in my church here who does it. And, um, and he's one of the godliest people I know. So I would say, I think you're in the clear. That's my opinion. Cool. Well, all right. Yes. God awesome. bless you, well, thank you. Thanks for taking your time. You have a you good bet. evening. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have another caller on the line, but before we go to him, let me just take this opportunity to personally invite you, if you are in the Longmont, Colorado area or anywhere within driving distance of Longmont, Colorado, or if you know people who live in Longmont or the surrounding area, like to personally take the opportunity to invite you to join us at the church that I pastor here in Longmont. It's called Whitefields Community Church. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in downtown Longmont, just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. Our address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue, and we meet on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So Longs Peak and Kaufman, northwest corner. We're just on the edge of Roosevelt Park, and we're just to the direct south of the downtown park and ride here in Longmont. If you need directions or you want to listen to some of our messages from recent messages or past series, you can do that on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefields with an S whitefieldschurch.com and we'd love to meet you if you end up worshiping with us on a Sunday and you do come and visit please come say hi to me after service I love meeting people who um, hear about us on the radio and then um, come to our church we've had a lot of that and we would love to have more of it so if you are in the Longmont area or you know someone who is definitely come worship with us at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont and you can also hear us here on Grace FM every weekday um, our sermons air at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Grace FM every weekday and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Let's go to our last caller here, Chris in Arizona. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the program. Chris, we must have lost Chris. Okay, well, I, I do see what Chris's question was, so let's see if we can help answer this question and if uh, Chris is no longer with us. Um, but we do have another Another caller. Actually, let's go to our next caller, Paul in Philadelphia. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I had called about a year ago, and, and I don't think I expressed myself well, so I hope you don't think I'm being smart trying to call again and get the same answer. No. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my question is, around four, I was taught that around 400 A.D., the Catholic Pope, uh, I forget his name, assigned somebody to 
make the table of contents of the Bible. So in other words, the point is is that the, the Catholic Church decided what books would be in the Bible. Now, now I know that there's some the Protestants disagree, and, but my, my main point is that that is so important in terms of interpretation of the Bible, even in modern times, and 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 the point that I would I would think as a layperson, uh, humbly saying that a lot of the sects of the different Christian Christian modern Christians are indirectly following the Pope. So my uh, I'm just asking. My question is, with that as a background, that in other words, mostly I'm I'm interested in in, in the interpretation of the Bible with the context of that fact that the the Catholic Pope so, so indirectly selected the Catholic Church indirectly selected the books that are being considered the Word of God. So, in, so my yeah. question to you is, how does that reflect on inter, modern interpretations of the Bible? So, Paul, and, and here's, also the authority uh, of the of the yeah. um, of the churches to to uh, interpret the Bible. Yeah, Paul, this is a really important point that you're bringing up. Um, you know, just how can we know that we're trusting the Bible? And, um, you know, who has the authority to say what the Bible is or, or what it is? Here's what I would tell you, Paul. It seems to me like um, you would do well to go and read a little bit on the canonization of Scripture and how it took place. Um, because many of the things that you just said to me um, were incorrect historically and I, I just say i say that uh, with kindness i don't say it i really hope that you don't feel that i'm being condescending or rude because i don't intend to be i just would say that having studied these things um, on the university level for the last nine years i have to tell you that um, some of these assumptions that you're making about history are actually incorrect so uh, the the idea that someone was um, designated by the pope to um, choose which books of the bible were included in the New Testament canon or even in the canon in general simply not correct I mean the the way that the Bible was canonized we only have five minutes here um, and this will be a little bit technical so um, forgive me for summarizing but let's just put it this way um, the Old Testament canon was recognized by the Jewish people and it was recognized throughout history universally by the Jewish people as to which books were um, books of prophets, which books were books um, which were inspired by God. So as for Christians, we inherited our Old Testament canon from the Jewish people. This is why um, we do not recognize the what are called the apocryphal books, Old Testament apocrypha. The, these are the extra books that are found in, for example, the Catholic Bible, uh, some of the Orthodox Bibles. And the reason is because the Jewish people never recognize these books as scripture. And so because we inherited our um, Old Testament canon from the Jews, we don't recognize those books. Now, the New Testament canon is a little bit more interesting because um, the New Testament canon developed over time. Now, here's what, here's what I would really want you to know. When Paul writes in 2 Timothy, which is his last um, letter, that he writes before his death, which means it's a pretty late letter chronologically. It's being written, you know, in the late, mid to late 60s AD. Paul is writing these things as he's dying, and he says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, what is what scriptures are he, is he talking about? Is he talking about the Old Testament, or is he also talking about 
New Testament books. Now, I would argue, and I believe that most people would argue, that Paul is not just talking about the Old Testament. He's also talking about the New Testament because we know that in the early church, there were um, what are called proto-gospels, right? So there were early forms of the Gospel of Mark. And it's called, by the way, it has a name in theological, you know, um, studies. It's called Q, which is the early form of the Gospel of Mark. And, and it was kind of an early, before the, the book of the Gospel of Mark was finalized and finished, right? So Q was kind of the rough draft, so to say, the notes that were being compiled from different sources for the Gospel of Mark. And so we have Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of, well, especially those two. They, they were already in circulation in the early church. It's not like people waited a really long time and then put these books together. And they were recognized as scripture very, very early on. And we see that like in the writings of Paul, in the writings of Peter, quoting other books of the Bible, including even in some cases the Gospels. Now that's really important. It tells us that early Christians recognized that. So what happened at the Council of Nicaea, which is 325 AD, under Constantine, is that the Council of Bishops, which was not one man, this was a universal council of all Christian leaders in the Roman Empire at that time, got together to do what? To ratify and say officially, this is the canon of Scripture. Now, they didn't create it. They didn't pick the books. They only ratified. And there were some books which were kind of on the fringes, recognized by some people but not by others. And they unanimously came together and said, no, 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 we don't recognize those books because they differ in doctrine and they haven't been recognized universally by the church. So I hope that answers your question, Paul. Uh, it's a very important one, and I would just encourage you to read up more on the history of the canonization of Scripture. It's very important. So God bless you. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. I'll be with you again on Friday. God bless you, and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.